podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. I tell you what, it feels like I only saw you yesterday. Oh, well, I did feels, see yesterday. <laughs> it feels like, yeah, I enjoyed buying you lunch in the pre- <laughs> in the pre- in the press room. Uh, it, that Very was like, generous of you, as ever. Yeah, it was like old home week in the press room actually. Um, this this week, it's, it wasn't last week at Wembley, but yeah, there were a lot, a lot of the uh, a lot of old faces. It was good old to first see. down crowd and some of the uh, camera people used to do the BBC shows that uh, we were doing and. Yeah, it was really it was really nice. Um, my the highlight of my day was catching a one of those T-shirts that they fire out of the bazookas. Now this um, got reported to me, so we were in it, slightly it different media sections because you were where you were slightly lower tier, weren't you? Weird, yeah, with, with print the print print, print, print yeah. press. And somebody in there whose name I will keep I will keep under wraps gave me that intel. Said Iron Mike has been uh, getting stuck into the t-shirt oh, well, the, gun action. Yeah, the guy, the guy next to me was um, a Jacksonville reporter, and mm. and he actually showed tweeted a picture of me, saying, you know, I nearly got a catch, but the guy next to me, you know, <clears throat> caught caught it, uh, and and then a picture of the guy on his other side who he said he would have knocked over if if he had gone for <laughs> it, and it, mine was a perfect catch. And, of course, you know, I bet it was. I looked it, it was. right into my hands and and all that, but um, still got the magic on Mike. And yeah, the, and the, the guys, application as well. The, the guys have the guys have to learn mm. to stop shooting them at the press thing and what was really weird was we were right i was in the front row so we were really we were right behind those stupid lazy boy no mm. no offense to nfl sponsors um lazy boy chair section where they have oh like yeah. Six, yeah, yeah yeah six guys drinking beer and the lazy boys and then the cameraman comes over and stands in front of you during the game waiting for the cue to shoot these guys <laughs> and i'm like you shoot him um but anyway they they caught six the lazy boy guys caught six because well they've got this big area mm. so it's the equivalent of about four rows mm. so we're right on the 50 yard line you know my seat was literally right behind the cameraman on the raised photo pedestal um on the field at the 50 yard line and um they kept shooting them that way and the same guy kept jumping up and catching them <laughs> and they had this little pile and i gave mine to one of the guys one of the stadium guys working oh. You're all heart, Carlson. You're yeah, all, that's textbook. You, that's textbook. You. I love it. the perfect I'm Mike Carlson story in about two minutes. You still got the magic hands, really self-deprecating in telling the story, <laughs> but gracefully giving the t-shirt away to somebody. I love that I'm Mike, and it was great to catch up with you. And as you said, a lot of a lot of old faces at at Tottenham yesterday. We'll talk about that game in a bit, but I want to lead off with Sunday night football. 49ers blowing past the Cowboys. Now, right. straight off the bat, I'm Mike. I want your perspective on something because I wrote a piece last week about Brock Purdy and Propo and I actually talked around this on the Friday Edge Rush show as well. I threw out. Are, are you like his ghostwriter? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I draw the pictures anyway. <laughs> he loves those. The Brock Purdy for MVP. <laughs> I love, love an MVP chat after five weeks. But the Brock Purdy for MVP freight train is, is picking up a lot of speed this morning on the back of this performance but i was on this tip last week not for mvp but how brock putty is underrated and we touched a bit on it on last week's show recall as well yeah yeah we've and talked about it. i was trying to weigh up power rankings of quarterbacks right now in the end for active quarterbacks right now and that's where i landed on purdy maybe being a top six quarterback 
definitely being a top eight quarterback. And that was the really the direction of my piece in the chat with, with Propo. I think he is in that sphere. Now there's a lot of hype this morning. That, oh, he's in that sphere. What do you think? I am Mike. What is your top, <laughs> what is your top eight? I thought there was a question coming very soon. <laughs> I got there eventually. Uh, um, yeah, well, I, I'll give it, I mean, you asked me to draw up a top eight without like putting it into this context, but I understand the context perfectly well. And strangely enough, Purdy is number seven in my top eight. There you go. Um, now it's not based strictly on how they're playing this season. It's kind right. of based on what you would do. Um, yeah. So you know, if you're a GM starting a team now, which way are you going? Yeah, exactly. But you can't have and, Rogers cause he's, he's out. Yeah, and and I mean, I I hear what you say about the MVP hype, but let's not forget that Tua was was on the MVP hype after week one, mm. and after week three was being given his Hall of Fame jacket, <laughs> and the the Dolphins were the greatest team ever. It was the greatest dynasty ever. Um, you know, are the Dolphins the greatest dynasty ever? They've won, they've won <laughs> three games in the first two barely. Um, anyway. Mm. Um, so the list is put to me, it, it's pretty obvious in the way it breaks down. And I actually went, I won't bother you with it, bore you with it. I'll probably write it for my column this week or next week. Cause I broke down the rest of the quarterbacks, trying to figure out how we classify Ooh, okay. them in stages. Um, well, outside of the top eight, you mean the other outside eight. of the top right. eight. Yeah. Right. Um, you've, you've basically got kind of like veterans, uh, you know, guys on the border, veterans, guys who are on the sort of downhill and and then you've got the kind of first two year guys who are mm. sorting themselves. That out. would be interesting. We should do a spinoff episode on that. I like that. Yeah, but, we can, I'd be happy to do it. Um, anyway, Patrick Mahomes remains number one. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody's done enough to push him out. And, and when you look at this year's performance, you have to realize that, you know, his receivers are better at dropping the ball than catching it. Basically <laughs> um, he's having, you know, if rice comes through, well, he played a good half this, this week, you know, Tony is still a question mark. They they don't have any support for Kelsey and, you know, Kelsey he has 74 hurt. receivers incidentally, but he seems to be, <laughs> seems yeah. to be firing the ball. He hit 10. It was 10. again, like this is the story of their, their offense this season, right? He's just spraying it around to everybody. Yeah. Well, they're trying, they keep trying things. What was it? They had a crucial one down by the goal line. Um, and, and on third down, they threw a swing pass out to McKinnon, I guess mm. McKinnon. And, you know, he, that predictably came a yard short, basically, because it was eight, he had to make seven or eight from where he was in the backfield and 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 didn't. Um, I still have Josh Allen number two, but you know, but despite I what think, happened yesterday, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they looked like they looked yesterday like the Ravens who came in a few years ago. The you know the first time the Ravens came to town and played the mm. Jags, and and their first half was completely flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good comparison. Um, yeah, they yeah, looked they looked a lot like that, and and I think they lost the game when Milano went out. Oh, um, huge! Well, Milano know, that, went out. Daquan Jones was out as well. They had obviously Russo wasn't starting, and White wasn't starting. I mean, we'll get to the Bills in a minute. Then. Yeah, we'll get I'm, to that I'm game. Worried, I'm worried. About I mean, anything, yeah. I, I'm tempted. I was tempted to put Burrow second because yeah. what we saw from burrow yesterday was kind of what we expect from burrow yeah. is you know that that calf injury has obviously been more serious than with it and herbert was fourth and you know i like herbert a lot and i'm not i'm not sure whether his 
his stumbles are the team's stumbles or whether, you know, he, whether he's already become a Chargers quarterback <laughs> who, who just makes that one bad play game, which is enough to push the rest of the team's bad plays over the, over the limit. But I think that those are the four guys I'd be most interested in, you know? Do you think Herbert in on that, Herbert as a Charger is Stafford as a Lion? Is that just a slightly better team generally? But not, not quite, no, because I don't, you know, Stafford has always been a great a very talented passer um, step. But although if you ask me, the guy I would compare staff with the most to almost like contemporaries would be Philip Rivers. Mm. So you're in charge of territory basically. Okay, um, and we're seeing classic Stafford with the Rams. You know, he does a lot. He's, he's incredible at standing in the pocket and taking a beating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't, Carter hit him one, which he's probably still feeling, you know, as <laughs> Gordy Howe used to say twice, or guys used to say about Gordy Howe, you know, twice, you hurt when he hits you, and then you hurt when you wake up the next morning. <laughs> um, and then they're kind of a group of four to me. And then and then right behind them, two is kind of on the fringe of that group, but I'm not concerned, I'm not convinced whether Tua fits into that group or mm. whether he fits into a group with Hertz, Purdy, and Goff in that order. Um, kind of guys who are playing within their systems and thereby playing better than they might. You know, we had an interesting debate. I had an interesting debate with somebody about, you know, if the if the Dolphins and Niners switched quarterbacks, which team would benefit more? Yeah. Or which team would suffer more? Mm. You know, and I think that's a really interesting one to look at because I'm not sure that the distinction is all that great. Tua can throw the long ball better than Purdy does. He doesn't need, but, but they both need time. And, and Tua, of course, is an injury, you know, part of his valuation. If you put him in the time, he's always injury prone. You know, he's still a risk. Injuries for sure. And and I guess also with Tua, the the knock on him, and I'm keen on your take on this is when the first or second reads aren't there, then he, then he starts to unravel a little bit. This is the, whereas the composure that Purdy has in a, in a relatively small sample size seems to suggest he 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 is able to read to run through those reads and still keep you know keep his head. Yeah, and and you know and Purdy. Um, um, what I actually what I should say is any quarterback is better when the team can run at will the way Miami can, except against Buffalo. Um, and sure. that makes his job easier. And when Waddle's there, that means if you're doubling to keep Hill from beating you deep or or being able to break things to beat you deep and you're having to cover that run game, somebody has to be open. And if that's Waddle, you're in a lot of you're in a lot of trouble. And and as we saw yesterday, in, in a way, that was the, tr- the same thing with um, San Francisco. They bottled up McCaffrey pretty well mm. in, in the run game. Mason had you know, had a pretty good game and had more yards than McCaffrey. But it was Kittle who was left open when, you know, when Purdy had made a little bit of time. Kittle had three catches for three touchdowns. A good day of the it's offense. Good. Yeah. Let's just talk through the, the top line similarities and indeed differences between this 49ers offense and this Miami offense. Um, speed is the biggest one. Um, it jumps out at you. Uh, you know, I, I love I loved when they drafted A Chain. <laughs> I'm always gonna call him. I'm that with you man. on that, man. I'm definitely um, he's definitely A Chain. Because he's he's a prototypical Shanahan offense runner, going back to Mike Shanahan in, in Denver, one cut yeah. and burst to yeah. to the hole. Um, but he's so much faster. And and this wasn't an original idea I had. 
but someone else watching tape put put it up and I and I jumped on it when when the Niners run motion motion goes into the flat primarily mm-hmm. because the guys aren't as fast but when the Dolphins run motion you can run Hill or A-Chain or Mostert or Waddle in motion and get him onto the second level immediately because they're so <laughs> fast so coming yeah. out of the, yeah so it so it makes it 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 stretches the game out uh, vertically, yes. which is, I think, the big difference with, I mean, Ayuk does that a bit with the 49ers, but not usually from motion, but from from a set piece. But you see how they're getting Ayuk involved deep in, in the game, but they still don't really have a, a pure stretcher of, of the game. And they and the and the, their offense is mostly horizontal. It's, mm. you know, it, it's really, you know, West Coast Mark nine or whatever, you know, to <laughs> take it to the end. And the guy who surprises me when I read it was Goff. Yeah. Um, as as the eighth guy, because I think Goff gets an awful lot of criticism for being what he is. And he's he's kind of gotten he's 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 certainly at the Stafford point now, uh, Lions wise. Mm. And he's not at that point where when he's under pressure, he makes bad throws. He's learned to sort of throw the ball away or or even take the sack, but not not do stupid throws like say Mac Jones does um when the when the pressure becomes too much. And it, it also heightens the importance when you're evaluating these guys. Obviously these guys most of these guys play on good teams. And when you play on good teams, you look like a better quarterback. But you can also simplify that say guys play on teams with good offensive lines. Mm. And Lions have a good offensive line. Jalen Hurts, I've, I've skipped over, but he's you know, he's in my number six. I don't know how Hurts would play on a team with a less good line because I keep looking at um, Lamar, who's on the edge of that eight when he's playing well. But Lamar doesn't do as much as Hurts does in terms of of um, making making passing plays. Wait know? a minute, he, just I'm just trying to join the dots here. Was Lamar not in your top eight then? So you've no, got. He, he he was down. Trevor Lawrence and Lamar would be nine and ten, and Stafford Stafford would kind of be at eleven based on his play this year. But obviously, if you're a GM looking for a quarterback, you're not going to look for a batter thirty-seven. Uh, yeah, I guess you got to got to factor in edge a little bit. That yeah. is interesting because I, I agree with well, not necessarily the order. I'd, I'd have Burrow at two, but I agree with with the top four. But I have I'd have Lamar at five, and I would have if you're taking your cut, I'd have him yeah. in that's the kind of separating line for those top five. And then you drop down to, to Purdy Goff. I agree with you completely criminally underrated. I mean, the Lions are four and one Mike, and they're winning in style as well. I, I had a look at the MVP odds uh, on our friends Fitzdare's site. Of course, uh, Goff's 30 to one for MVP. Mm, yeah. I, that's a he will not that's get, a he will not get credit. I literally heard a guy, I think a week ago to, in the commentary saying, you know, oh, he's had, he had his, you know, um, breakthrough game two weeks ago. He's over, you know, um, the, whatever it was, the, all the criticism of him at the rant, you know, and what was the criticism based on? You know, mm-hmm. he was what he was, but you know, the Super Bowl wasn't his fault. You know, the Rams mm-hmm. offense got three points. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, Lamar, Last look at this week's game, and and his receivers dropped. I think five passes. Oh my god! You know, I mean, it's Bateman and, dropping. And, and, that's that that whole drive when Bateman dropped to Dolly. Yeah, and 
uh, Andrews had dropped one just before. I mean, hell, the Ravens yeah, lost and, that game. And, and late in the game, there was a play where Zay Flowers was open deep, and and Lamar threw what I think was probably yeah. a catchable ball, but Zay Flowers slipped and yeah, fell, you know, fell on the turf. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to evaluate him because of all those problems because they they've never really put a great group of receivers around right. their offensive line is built for runs and yeah. now is also injured um, a lot. So, you know, anyone who wanted to put him in, I wouldn't argue because, mm-hmm. but he hasn't had a season like his MVP season to be, no. to, to be really, uh, to be really honest. And Lawrence but, is that, inconsistent. Just before we get but, to Lawrence, that versatility, is that the key? So as, as you were touching on golf, Purdy, based on what we know so far, they're effective, but only in certain situations. Or, or to flip that another way, a player like Burrow or Allen is more likely to be effective in more situations. Yeah, and I, I want to see, I mean, the knock on Lamar since the start has been he can't throw the 15-yard out. He just doesn't have enough juice on the ball. He's accurate. He can throw deep, but he can't get that that kind of pass. So they're constantly throwing to the middle and they don't have the receivers to be able to make that work. Um, or it becomes kind of one, one dimensional in where you're going to throw and it makes it easier for defenses um, to cover it. Well, okay. That is interesting, Mike, the, the, the top eight, and I'm glad that you have validated my, uh, my party <laughs> heart. Now everybody's on that freight train, as I say, we'll, um, we will take the we we will take the credit for being there a little a little bit earlier, but I am reassured that you feel that as well because when I threw that out, I mean, Propo inevitably um, took the piss, and and I was talking about it, at, you know, to a few people prop, yesterday. Prop P, <laughs> prop P, a few people yesterday at the game, and it was eyebrows raised, like really, Purdy, and now of course, seventeen to twenty four, two hundred fifty two, four touchdowns, no picks, one hundred forty four point four passer rating against one of the strongest defenses in. The game. What is happening with the Cowboys? Why does this seem to happen every year? The Cowboys get hyped up every year, and here we go again. And like, I, oh, I, you oh. know, I feel really sorry for them. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a huge Jerry <laughs> fan. What? But um, what is it? Is it because it's the Cowboys and they're they're overhyped? Because because yeah, that that that's a part of that is a part of it. Um, in fairness, they've had their their line problems. In fairness, I think the kind of they they had strange as it seems, and he wasn't crucial to them. But Zach, they haven't Zeke. They haven't really replaced Zeke. The red zone. We were talking and, about it, right? You made that yeah, point. We, and 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 you know, and um, Pollard is what he is, and and not sort of the. I, he's an every down back, but they really need a change of pace for him. Mm. Um, so a bruiser kind of guy, you know, um, which would help a lot. But their offensive line is supposed to be really good. They they don't always they don't always show that. Um, Dak isn't playing up to his contract, but you know I haven't considered contracts in 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 these in these situations. And defensively, they got the best defensive player in the league. Um, you know, the most talented physically defense and most versatile defensive player in the league but they haven't been they haven't been able to integrate him fully which means either leave him in one place and build a spot around him or move him around based on game situations and fill the spot with some someone else because obviously the he wasn't doing enough in pass rush to disrupt the San Francisco pass game they they did a good job of controlling the run 
and then it would say, oh, now you can get them passing, but they couldn't. Um, you know, they and that's partly on Purdy. Purdy played with a lot of composure, whether he and not always rolling out or you know moving pocket as they like to do, but also just standing back in the pocket. Standing back, his footwork. Um, his footworks. We were chatting. Um, who was I talking to about this? Forgive me, I can't remember. It was a conversation yesterday about about Purdy's footwork and the point you have often made over the years about Brady. And I know everybody, calm down. That it's a big jump. I know, but you always made the point in terms of Brady's smarts and footwork, how he'd step into the pocket, evade pressure by just stepping in. And Purdy's similarly is in that situation. We talk about him a lot. You mentioned composure. We talk about him being unfazable and calm and all abuse. That's often with his movement under pressure. He's just, just everything slows down and he just takes a few deft steps and takes care of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and part of the thing with Brady coming out of college was they said he couldn't really throw the deep ball. You know, because he wasn't a very, he was tall and not in great shape. And, you know, and he built himself, he built his arm up and he built his physical um, um, conditioning up um, as well. But throwing the deep ball is also a function of just being able to have receivers that you, you can hit. Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a 90, you know, 60 yards in the air each time to be able to throw it. And Brady, once he got Randy Moss, could throw the deep ball fine, you know, <laughs> put it right on, put it right on the spot where Moss was running to. And I think that was the bigger thing. He still had that anticipation. And if you get time to throw, almost everybody can throw a, a reasonably good deep ball. Um, I think we saw Allen with two kind of crucial underthrows. Yeah, right. One, one to digs that would have been a touchdown and another one that was intercepted because pick, yeah. he, he had he had to wait for the ball wait it gave the defend, defensive back who was beaten time to get back to the ball yeah. and so you know that's and Allen everybody knows has a strong strong arm but it's yeah. it's partly how you you know how you weight the ball that you're throwing and and in fairness to him both throws he was a bit under a bit of pressure so mm. he couldn't you know it's not like he could set and and do it and uh, you know fine margins as well uh, the Let's talk. Let's talk about that game in a bit more detail then. So, <laughs> let's go with leave with the ground game first of all. It's inevitable that we built up James Cook as the second coming of Thurman Thomas, and that he has a game like that. But well, the second coming of Dalvin Cook, <laughs> Dalvin Cook, maybe more accurately, <laughs> couldn't get they couldn't get the ground game going at all. The Bills and conversely, of course, Travis Etienne had perhaps the the best game of his career to date. Certainly, um, certainly was instrumental i think in the control of the game the control time of possession of course was crucial the whatever was going wrong with the bills offense the bills d as well we mentioned some of the injuries which of course contributed to it but they were just putting in a shift and er everything in the first half was going wrong because the d was on the field for so long it was getting banged up they were draining the clock and yet they went into half time, Mike, very much in the That's game. That's what I said to this guy next to me. You know, it's like 11 7 at the half. I'll take that if I'm Buffalo. You yeah, know, they, exactly. sh they should really be losing, you know, 20 to 7 or something like that. But by the, the 11 quarter, 7, the, the score, sorry, just on that. And then the, remember the strip sack the, uh, the, and the recovery yeah. right at the end as well. I mean, they were yeah. going, Christian Scotland Williamson, who was on, on comms with us for, for the game. I was saying, so what is it like in a locker room? Because we talk about it a lot, you know, momentum. You love, you love a bit of momentum, don't you? But, but when you've been terrible for the first half, and you know you've been terrible, but you score right at the death, you're within four points, and you prevent them adding to that lead in that manner. What does that look like in a locker room? He said, yeah, everybody's going to be saying, okay, we are absolutely in this 
because we'll be very self-conscious and very open about how poor they've been playing, but know that they can turn it on, turn up a gear or yeah. two. But the Bills couldn't do that. So why couldn't they do it? Um, well, it was interesting how tired their defense was in the, in the last half of the last quarter. Um, they really were dead. And, and you know, ETN had those three good runs in a row that, that, bas- that basically killed them. Um, what was happening from what what I saw was the Jags. Interesting thing, and this is this Jacksonville guy. So I should I can't remember his name. I've got it somewhere. But Peterson during the week. You remember I said they had in the second quarter um, against Atlanta. They ran their offense really well. They were running loads of misdirection, getting to the outside, getting to the corners, and then they didn't in the second half. And he said that Peterson said during the week that that was deliberate, that they had decided they could, Atlanta wasn't going to score on them. So they didn't need to give away, excuse me, too much offensively. Right. And they, they literally did go to a more vanilla offense in the second half of that game and nearly lost it. I yeah. don't quite believe that, but you know, but it, it, you know, it explained, it explained a certain, a certain amount. And in this game, that's what they did. What you saw, what they saw them doing was, was going to the outsides of, of Buffalo's defense, which Miami hadn't been able to do uh, the week before. And you remember Buffalo plays with four and two linebackers, basically. That's that's their simple set. So they depend on those linebackers to get to the outside. And the ends have to both rush and set the edge. It, it's a difficult position because most of their ends are basically pass rushers. Um, but they don't have to be like Von Miller kind of pass rushers. So mm-hmm. what 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 they were doing was, you know, ETN was going outside the tackle or bouncing it outside the tackle. The pass plays were roll, they were running on deep, on deep outs. Um, they were sending receivers deep and then running underneath. And Lawrence completed three or four really good throws, which were not great throws where he was being hit and he got the ball off with like half speed, a change of change up kind of, but it got, it got to mostly to Ridley because Ridley was so open Mm. because they were playing off him. So, so much they were giving him that space and they were trying to crowd the inside and, and giving them giving them the outside. They, and they kept doing it time, time after time. Engram going inside out caught a, caught a few balls. Um, and then when they went up the middle, without Milano, they weren't getting that same kind of coverage inside either. Yeah. So the linebackers were playing really deep and they were catching lots of balls right in front of them uh, for good gains, you know, and – and you can't have it always when you're playing you, you're that sort of defense. And I thought it was really good the way that Jacksonville um, attacked their defense. I think that was great coaching by Peterson. Um, I heard the, one of the common, one of the local domestic commentators talking about how you know they had done. Cam Robinson um, was in. And this is late, late in the game or something, and then had to go he was, out. And they had, he was having had a back nine up, back, Cam back up tack, tackle it. And I'm saying, do you didn't notice that he didn't start the game? <laughs> the the yeah. original starting tackle went out. Had got out. Then, yeah, they were, and then we Cam, and then Cam came in. So they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. already on their backup tackle. You know, yeah. as this, I sort of skipped your your review, but uh, you anyway, have, you should have pointed that. Hey, so on Matt Milano, <laughs> he's broken his leg, so he's he's probably done for the season. He's probably they, out for the season. Yeah, Daquan Jones, it's a pec injury. He's going to have an MRI today or Monday. 
Mm. If that needs an operation, he may be gone. That could be gone for the season as well. We know that uh, Tredavious White, of course, is done for the season. Russo uh, will be back, they expect. But nevertheless, this is three starters, certainly down four at the moment, but three that are are gone most likely for the season. And and not just starters, but in Milano and White's case, Two, two of the that's, best. That's two of their three, the three, yeah. two of their three best players. Yeah. Um, so what's that going to do and, for? And that? they neutralized. They neutralized Ed Oliver yeah, in the first sure. quarter by giving him two penalties, um, one for hands to the face and one for Russ being the passer. Um, both of which I thought were kind of borderline, uh, mm-hmm. especially the rushing, roughing the passer. Um, that game. So what's had, the short stack? That game was do? that game was worse than a Super Blandino. Oh God, we don't want to get it, you on that it, Super Bowl. It was way. it was a Pereira. Oh no. It, it was nineteen <laughs> penalties, nineteen accepted penalties for 167 yards. There was one on the um uh, on one of the Jags drives that were about 15 on one drive, weren't oh, there? Oh, well, they, they, there was one play, yeah, go, going down toward the left end where, yeah. like, it was only two penalties, but there were five flags thrown. That's right, flags It's everywhere. like every guy was reaching in. I read, I read. <laughs> Just, look, the D injuries that they've <laughs> suffered, what's that going to do realistically to their chances? Milano's of- a huge loss. Yeah. I mean, White is a great cornerback, but, you know, you can kind of replace cornerbacks and, you know, and and hope that the 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 you, you cut your losses really that though with a player that he, of his caliber i don't know i don't know they, they're saying that mcdermott was saying that at all week long we've got a real deep you know deep roster here deep deep they play mostly zone now in fairness when you play too deep zone you wind up with your cornerbacks playing man to man much of the time most of the time anyway so um but within the within the limitations but Bonano's range in the mm. middle and his ability to, to pass cover is what um is what is what really makes makes that all work um, right yeah interestingly after milano went out they started dropping leonard floyd into coverage sometimes and and floyd's floyd exemplifies that problem because he's a pass rush end right but when he's if he's lined up as a on the line as one of your four you're really vulnerable in terms of setting the edge for the run because he just doesn't have the, the strength to um to set an edge against mm. against these big guys and I, I it was interesting I, when i saw him covering and he did a decent job he was he was covering engram and he had him 10 yards downfield there was a, that may be what they try to adjust now you know they may they may wind up lining him you know playing more with three backers um you know even move up you know, even move a safety up into a backer position in mm. order to make up for that loss of of coverage um coverage space that milano gives them what do you think this does then to with those injuries to the the AFC power rankings given well in the context of the Chiefs win and, and as we touched upon the Chiefs well like like we said 10 different receivers Rashi Rice getting in a little bit on the at Justin Watson but they still don't have this cohesion yet the Bengals finally getting going as well the Dolphins getting back in the saddle too albeit against against the Giants so where does it sit a week on now a week after that brilliant win for for the Bills over Miami, where's your head at in terms of the AFC pecking order? I am really tempted to say that, predict now that in December, when Miami has like four or five of the last five games, four of them are at home, and they're playing these teams in, in hot weather um, in Miami, that Miami's going to have a great advantage um, because 
if you can't slow their offense down, there aren't many teams that can win a shootout with them. Right. And the Bills were one, although they were able to slow the offense down. So it didn't have to be a shootout, but they scored enough points early so that Miami had to, you know, become one dimensional. And that's how you beat that's how you beat any team, really, is make them be one dimensional. And Kansas City right now is not a shootout team. You know, their defense is not it's good but not great i think in, in but they they played well enough you know well enough to be able to carry them to that win they i'm not sure they can win shootouts because they don't have you know your tight end does not win shootouts for you right. you know i i can i can recall games where belichick and the patriots would you know double tyreek hill always every you know every play hill hill would wind up with four catches for 70 yards or something like that and Travis Kelsey would have 11 for 110, but Travis Kelsey wasn't going to beat them. He no. wasn't going to burst. He wasn't going to burst a big play on the on those crossing routes that were going to keep him contained. And that is the problem. You, you don't. And also that. in that in that dynamic, there is no Tyreek Hill, right? I mean, he's getting his hundred yards and a touchdown. Kelsey, because yeah, no, well, yeah, you know, he's getting that because <laughs> Hale's getting so much attention elsewhere. But yeah, they don't have exactly. That, that's time. how it works. Who's gonna? Who's the guy who's most likely to beat me? Tyreek Hill, um, you know, and now what you're going to have to say is, can I score enough points even even if I take Tyreek Hill out of the game mm. to um, to be able to beat them? You know, it's it's an interesting equation, but I think coming off that Buffalo loss where we said, okay, <laughs> they're not the greatest dynasty in the world, <laughs> Tua can Tua can send the green the yellow jacket back to the Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, the MVP voting can res- resume its normal balance. And uh, but right now, I think looking coming off this week, you'd have to say that Miami's looking better in yeah. many ways than Buffalo, and you know certainly as as good as San as um, Kansas as Kansas City. City. What about and the San Bengals, Francisco? So- San Francisco, Philadelphia looks like the most interesting matchup of, of uh, the you know the season. No doubt. Well, let's get NFC in a minute, but just on the Bengals because they're back. And again, okay, it was the it was the cards, but Burrow hits what just shy of four hundred yards. Jamar Chase has a breakout game for this season, and there was a lot of talk of Chase. Inevitably, I guess, when a franchise is struggling and and underperforming, a lot of talk of Chase being unhappy and talking to management about the situation. And all of this was forgotten pretty quickly. He had 15 <laughs> catches, 192 yards. It's sensational game, three touchdowns. So we know it's the Cardinals, plucky, spirited, but it's the Cardinals. Are the Bengals going to be okay, do you think? Burrow looks pretty much close to to norm are they going to be fine or are there still concerns there the offensive line is still a concern you know it's i saw the long pass the long pass to chase he had for almost five seconds in the pocket which he made for himself because he could scramble a bit and that then they they depended on that for the last two years you know burrow making time for himself giving chase time to uh get open they were they were much more it was hidden because they had three good receivers it was hidden how much breakdown play went to chase in other words chase's big plays were not the design scripted yes. play and hitting him, you know, like a Debo in, in stride yeah. or a hill yeah. or a hill downfield. They were breakdown plays where Burrow kept the play alive and gave Chase a time, you know, for a second move that got him open. And and he's great on the content. He's like Andre uh, DeAndre Hopkins with more speed. 
um, you know, he's great on great on contested the contested catches, contested catches. Could I ask them, just to jump in on that? So sure. I, I get it that um, offensive line is an issue, but it has been for ever since yeah, far as being exactly. available, right? So what's different? Like, why were they able to connect so effectively over well, the last couple of years, despite the pressure? Well, because he can keep plays alive, he's and he's very good at that. Uh, he so was the injury know, then? Is that the problem? I think the injury was the big thing in the first four weeks. Right. You know, um, and I was wrong. I said last week, if it were me, I'd sit him down until he's fully healthy. Well, apparently, whatever they've done, you know, in the in this week in terms of treatment and stuff, he's mm-hmm. he looked fully healthy. He looked or, or you know close enough too. Um, and and that's the thing because he's he is that team's offense. You know, and defensively. And Rumo is a good coordinator and very good game planner coordinator, you know, bringing up to, but they missed their starting safeties. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, that's the biggest notable loss. And if Pratt is hurt, Pratt's one of the great undervalued players. He's played really well for them. Um, and uh, he, he looked like he was, might be seriously hurt as well. So yeah. Um, couple of other AFC notes worth mentioning, you know, yeah. I, Indianapolis won the game and, and they played well. And Zaire Franklin stopped Derrick Henry in the fourth quarter, man up. I mean, mm. there's not many guys stand up Derrick Henry one-on-one. <laughs> um, and Minshew played well, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it was good. one of his Minshew madness kind of games, um, which is great. But if they're going to really use Anthony Richardson as a, single wing tailback is you know in a four back offense they're going to have to accept that this is going to happen more often than not you mm-hmm. know you're going to need a good backup because he's going to get hurt um it, it's just it's almost inevitable i mean he may be the second coming of cam newton um which he certainly is physical enough and throws the ball well enough to be even better but you know cam yeah. newton's career eventually ground to a halt i mean yeah, they'll take it nowadays sure. nowadays will take eventually because um you know mm-hmm. you got a five-year window in which in which to use use your uh, rookie quarterback would you take that with it yeah high round pick five years if you know i mean richardson by the way uh this is Ian Rappaport reporting. It's a an AC joint sprain. He's going to have an MRI, but he could miss a month or more. Is right. what yeah. they're saying. It so it's uh it's Minshew for the short term. Anyway, I love the way you went Minshew madness as well. You went macho man as opposed to mania, which is always the way to go. It's always, <laughs> it's always about the macho man. Uh, let's talk. Um, and how about those New England Patriots? <laughs> okay, let's go there. Hey, you know what? I'm going to dive into the. Pass Young Mailbag for the first time today. All right. You've hit the nail on the head, Iron Mike, as far as the Pass Young Mailbag is mm-hmm. concerned. Unsurprisingly, a lot of Patriots chat. And unsurprisingly, there's a lot of discussion about Belichick and if his time has come. That's what Adam asks. Adam has uh, kept it a pretty simple, the kind of question you like, Iron Mike, short and to the point. <laughs> yeah. You think I, Belichick I, is I, done, is his question. Yeah, I mean, people have said this before. You know, he's been he's been written off uh, the the on to Cincinnati moment, you know, when they lost to the Chiefs and literally like Tom Jackson on the SPN was saying that the the clubhouse hates him. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wants to play for him. And they, they went on to win the Super Bowl. This team is not going to go on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, think? I can guarantee I can it's Joe. Name it. take, take I can Joe name it that one right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but 
you know, I said at the beginning of the season, what seemed obvious was that Belichick, the GM, was not doing any favors for Belichick, the coach. Mm-hmm. And Bill's propensity to bring back familiar faces, especially in the coaching world, has been a problem. They have a horrible offensive line. They went out and they you know traded for fringe guys, basically, Jags, just a guy, as we call who they thought can develop. But they... Adrian Clem, I don't know. It's his first year as an off as a line coach in the pros. He was at Oregon. I don't know if he can develop these guys the way Dante Scarnecchia did, but mm. certainly the evidence on the field is that they're overmatched at virtually every line position in almost every in almost every game. And then Mac goes out and makes early mistakes that put them in a hole. And they, as I said last week, I think, and the week before, and they have no playmakers. They can't come back. Sure. From a deficit, so are you? Su- do you think he's surprised, Belichick, about how unreliable Mac Jones has been? I, I think that whatever happened, his first year was probably what he was. They were able to beat teams they should beat. They won one unexpected game, which was the the storm game in Buffalo, where they never passed the ball. They only ran that right. yeah, three, that's times. Right. three times. Yeah. Um, so that's not down to him. Last year, he ha- it was such a bad year. And then the offense was so dysfunctional. They ran and they can't run this year because the line is so bad. So, you know, so all of a sudden, Mac's not going to carry the team. He's not going to carry the offense. And in the in the four non-jet games, in the first half, they've been outscored 82 to 6. They have two field goals in four games in the first half. So you, they can't play from a hole. Mm. But the halftime, you know, and the halftime they've been at least in a 14-point hole each of those games. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. You talked about Belichick's propensity for the old boys, the guys that he's tried and tested. There is a fairly credible argument, despite the young unzeitgeisty NFL that we're in now, as far as coaches are concerned anyway, to to go with experience, right? Particularly if there's familiarity as well as, as well as experience. And given the developments in the game offensively in Mike McDaniels of this world that are taking things to a different level. Is there a fair criticism of Belichick to say he's behind the times or actually can you look at the other way and think, well, because these guys are experienced because he is super clear in his conviction and always has been even your point on the offensive line, right? That's Belichick's MO is, is picking up players that are, being discarded yeah. and turning them into something, right? So he's yeah. just doing it how he's always done it, right? He's always, that's exactly right. He's doing it the way he's always done it. They still evaluate players the way he's always evaluated players. And those evaluations have been um, often very, often wrong, but they get away with it for two reasons. One is that he also evaluates guys who no one else sees. He sees the thing. So therefore he could patch some holes, pick up guys from other teams where they weren't like Mike Vrabel, for example, an mm-hmm. early example of a guy who was being used, you know, wasn't appreciated by the Steelers because they were asking him to do things he wasn't going to, you know, wasn't that great at doing. And Belichick saw something else in him. A lot of the problems were patched over by Tom Brady. Your offensive line didn't necessarily have to hold blocks as long as they might for another another quarterback. And, you know, sacks are as much the quarterback's fault 
as the offensive line's fault in a lot of, I mean, there are some that aren't, but there's, there are many that are. The quarterback holds the ball a little bit too long, doesn't feel the pressure, doesn't make a, the extra half second for himself by stepping forward or stepping sideways. So that a quarterback can be an influence on, on, on the sacks. And defensively, the style of the game is faster, and I'm not sure his defenses have adjusted completely to that, especially if they suffer some key injuries as they have this year. Right. He still wants to beat people up, which is great in front, um, up front. And he can contain almost any offense really well. And he's seen, you know, Jay, they just got J.C. Jackson back from mm-hmm. um, J.C. Jackson was an undrafted free agent who then signed a $90 million contract with, with the Chargers, you know. Um, that's the kind of thing he can see, you know. He gets higher picks wrong. His, his wide receiver yeah, judgment over the years, his, his edge players have not been great because he's looking for – He's looking for a certain physicality that, you know, that many of them have, but they don't have the athleticism to handle. He famously, in my mind, passed on uh, Clay, on um, Matthews, um, Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews, from, yeah. From Green Bay three times in the same draft. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, well, they need an outside line. And he, I think it was Cunningham was the guy they wound up taking from Florida State in the third round. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think there's, there's all of that, you know, and he had – he had Nick Casario in the in the front office, who mm-hmm. um, who you know was still a Belichick disciple and evaluated the same way, but saw things a little bit differently. Obviously, he had young, good young coaches coming up like McDaniel's, like like Brian Flores, um, and they've all they've gone on to other jobs, you know. And, and the idea that Flores is somebody else's defensive coordinator is really good. And he still he's got Mayo and and one of his sons as as co defensive coordinator. I think they do an okay job, but I I'm not sure Bill O'Brien. You know, who wasn't of all of the head coaches who've come from the Belichick tree, he's arguably, you know, the, been the most successful in the sense that he could take the Texans to a nine and eight, or no, it wasn't nine and eight in those days, but, you know, a nine and seven, nine and seven yeah. season and win the NFC South because, you know, everybody else, after the post Manning Colts, everybody else was, was going nine and seven or eight and eight or whatever, you know. Um, Going to be a hell of a coach if he won the NFC South. Yeah, what was there to think that he was going to bring along Mac Jones? Say, I remember I saying to you in one of our shows that what's his name Brady, um, Joe Brady, the the Joe quarterback Brady, yeah, coach, sure. you know, from who'd been at LSU with Chase, and um, I think he's in Buffalo now. When they promoted, when they promoted, um, uh, when Dayball left and, and they promoted Dorsey, I think they signed him as their quarterbacks coach. I wasn't saying he would make a difference because I didn't know, but I was thinking you should look for a kind of young up and coming coordinator who's worked with, with other people just to broaden your, your, your perspective out. Yeah. That's I I want to ask you about that because I, you know, I guess we touched upon it with Brady's uh, with um, Belichick's old guard. I mean, literally old guard in terms of, in terms of coaching staff. Do you think you take someone like Andy Reid and Andy Reid, similar age to Belichick, a little bit younger, but basically the same generation, right? And he is, by all accounts, constantly filling his brains. He'll turn up on Monday and he's seen a high school play from a Friday night game and he's drawing it up for it. He's always feeding his mind with offensive innovation, right? It's Andy Reid is never, never stops. Is this a misconception of Belichick that he, because he's, 
in his 70s. He's been around for so long. And because he's surrounding himself with Bill O'Brien and Patricia and co, that he's old school and that he's somehow behind the times. Or is that a misconception? I think it's a kind of misconception. I mean, they're more similar than you would think. You know, when when Eric Bieniemy went off to uh, Washington, he brought back Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy. Yeah, um, having failed at Chicago, you know, as an offensive as a coach, um, so you know he he yeah. and his his kids were coaching as well until they had they had you know yeah terrible um, uh, circumstances and but I think I think Andy's way is more attuned to the modern game and always kind of has been than Bill's and Bill's, you know, so, so it's, it's more of an adjustment for Bill off, especially offensively to kind of get to with, and without Brady to kind of get, and, and Andy right now is in the position Bill was with Brady. He's got the best quarterback in the game. He's got the guy who can make the most of nothing. And Andy, yeah, some habits die hard, you know, uh, listen to Ro- Romo will say it. I guarantee you in any game that he's, that he's doing, you know, with, with the chiefs, you know, at some point Andy's going to get bored with the run soon. You know, that's how you play the chiefs. You, 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 you stop the run till Andy gets bored with it. Yeah, you know, they're right. not going to run anymore. And then you can kind of clear the deck. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, but Andy with the Eagles year after year, had a bunch of just a guy receivers, you know, apart from yeah. with, when he had Terrell Owens briefly, um, you know, Todd Pinkston's and, and um, um, Samuel and uh, they, they went and the Patriots were the same, you know, apart from Randy Moss, they, the they, years, yeah. they, they were depending on, on, you know, being able the offense or whatever to be able to carry them. And, and he, he got to Super Bowl with, with Tyreek Hill, which made a huge difference, um, but then he won the 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 clean win in the Super Bowl, um, you know, without as if to prove that he could do without and with with a group of receivers. And I think what simply what happened this year was that the, the group hasn't gelled as a group um, with with Mahomes. You know, there's still yeah. there's still time. Yeah, you know, they, they could still grab somebody somewhere. Maybe flashes of flashes of promise. Let's move on because there's other stuff I want to ask you about. And I know yeah. you want to talk about the Eagles a bit. Uh, very much sharpening their blades again, or should that be sharpening their talents against yeah, the Rams? Exactly. Um, because offensively, they've been fine this season, but Dallas got it getting in the mix, coming to the party. Big game for him against LA. So it's made that solid offense that little bit more potent, hasn't it, Mike? Yeah. Um, they have options, especially if they can run the ball. And, you know, and a lot of that is down to having such a good offensive line, good solid offensive line that can can open holes. Because you can depend on A.J. Brown at almost any moment. Yeah. Smith gives them the downfield level of play and can make other plays um, as well. And Goddard is a really good receiving tight end when mm-hmm. he's healthy. And, you know, and he's a reasonably good blocker as well. Um, so that's. That's your three level thing. And yeah. Swift Swift can come out of the backfield. You know, he was the best Swift in the NFL this week because Taylor Swift apparently didn't show up <laughs> at, at the other at the other yeah, game. We got it about that, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think their questions are it's kind of like Cincinnati defensively. They they've got new people and they need to be able to figure out how to make them work. I saw saw that they um um they just signed Bradley Roby because they can't figure out who's gonna be their slot corner and they got burned um 
last week and and this week to an extent well, would would play out of the stock corner. Um, if anything, I thought the Rams went too much to that, you know, to Cooper Cup and and Puka, and um, mm. they probably should have tried to get get more deep because um, they lost safety. The Eagles lost safeties as well, so they're trying to break in a, a new group. But I think when that group starts playing more cohesively because they try, you know, because they have effective players at each, each of those spots, the Eagles will be really good because they're so good up front defensively as well. Mm. Um, you know, Carter is obviously what, what we said, because uh, we said it before the draft, you know, absent the lack of conditioning because of the accident and the legal stuff and and therefore the character questions that came yeah. up as a result of that, which, you know, I thought this is one of your classic made a big mistake. You know, he didn't actively hurt anybody, try to hurt anybody. He just made a really stupid mistake that, you know, many people have done, many people do. Mm. Um, and he was just lucky that it wasn't worse for him. So, okay. Um, he was probably lightly treated by the law um, and by the NFL, but you know he is what he was, what he was was before that, which is the best prospect in the draft. Period. Mm. You know? And obviously, quarterbacks go ahead of guys who are the best prospect in the draft, unless right. they're the second coming of Dick Butkus or whatever. <laughs> and even even then, um, you know, not. But but Carter is is a tremendous talent, you know. And um, you you just think of that Georgia team with these guys, you know. Um, you can't, you know, it's no, no surprise. They won two, two NFL, uh, two, <laughs> two semi-pro <Yeah>. championships <laughs> in, yeah. in, in, in the NCAA. Let's, um, let's wrap. Well, actually, I, I know you want to raise a glass to, to Dick Buck. Cause yeah. let's, let's do that. I'm just seeing if there's anything else in the mailbag. There's some, there are some, there some pretty good mailbag. Yeah, you know what? Well, let's, yeah, let's mailbag it. Let's pass the young mailbag it up a little bit more. This is a goodie. Speaking of the Eagles from Paul Thomas, given the near impossibility of stopping Philadelphia's tush push, is it safe to say the Eagles now have a yard advantage with each new set of towns, ostensibly starting with first and nine as opposed to first? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, somebody else sent in a, um, a mailbag question about how many references will there be to um, to the brotherly shove. Yeah. Um, which is what they're calling it in Philadelphia because push, push <laughs> sounds so childish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I had asked how many over unders would there of Taylor Swift would there be, and and if you bet the under, you were really good at that. Yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. actually going to pictures of her <laughs> when she was there last time. Yeah. Well, there's none of this this week. <laughs> but <laughs> here's your Taylor they, Swift they picture. Used footage of last time. Yeah, there we but, go. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I I don't like the whole concept. Because it's also come in on other plays, which, you know, always has, you know, the, the linemen are chasing plays downfield and then coming in, you know, like, like a mall, basically. Um, and I hate when the announcers say it's just like a rugby scrum. Well, no, it's not. because <laughs> 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 Anyway, you know it's that. I, I don't need to explain it. Um, a little bit but, different. But um, I still think that, the referees need to whistle the end of forward progress. Yeah. 
especially in the middle of a line, because eventually someone's just going to get caught up, you know, in a standing kind of position bent one way and the play is coming. And then all of a sudden the next wave comes in and knocks everybody and someone will fall over someone and break a leg Mm -hmm. um, or worse. I I mean, I don't know how long this will continue. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it becomes impossible to see what's going on even more than most sneaks, you know? Um, Yeah. Um. Unless you've got to read the right the right camera angle, so I'm I'm not a huge fan of the of the concept. But when you have an offensive line like the Eagles do, um, and you have a quarterback like Hertz, who no, no one realizes most of the time how big and strong he actually is, because he's not you know six foot five and two forty five. But mm. you know they do mention all the time how much he can squat, you know um, mm. how many pounds he can squat lift and that kind of stuff. He's very strong. So it, it works, and as long as it works, they'll they'll go to it, yep, and everyone will try to will try to copy it. You know, try um, to copy it and struggle to stop it. Aaron Donald had said ahead of it to to stop the uh, brotherly shove. Get as low as you can and just get off full speed. That's it. That's it. Make it powerful. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. but, well, uh, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like low man wins, but what if they just step over? <laughs> and you can't go under and then stand up which is what you would need to do you know to Mm. get to really counter it because it's just almost impossible to get up all right one more quickie from the from the patio mailbag uh from james hey james thanks for this at the nc show is obviously how you get in touch with us uh facebook instagram x uh all the usual platforms did and i love this one because you'll see what he's done here on mike did you expect that renaissance from desmond See what he did there. Renaissance. <laughs> I like it. It's good. It works for me. Will he now show the league he's a true QB1 for years to come? So in this, in the spirit of crazy overreaction, have we now... Yeah, crazy, got, that's crazy overreaction. But Desmond Ritter as a starter for the next 10 years. You know, right now, what you... Yeah, I mean, that's completely possible. What Where he would fit in as a starter based on what we've seen so far would be in that middle ground of competent starters. Um, you know, and it's a myth that you can't win a Super Bowl with a competent starter. Right. But what you need from a less, you know, from a guy who's not a superstar's caliber quarterback, if if you're going to win a Super Bowl, is a guy who doesn't turn the ball over and lose you games. Um, and a guy who can, you know, can make some plays. I'm I'm thinking of a Brad Johnson or or even a you know mm-hmm. even Trent Trent Dilfer kind of quarterback. Howell and Ritter are like kind of a package to me. They, you know, mm-hmm. they, they did the same. They started late in the season last year. They were named the team's starting quarterbacks. I think neither has proven himself to be sort of a a like dependable long term starter yet. Although they they both seem to be moving in that direction. Ritter is a bit more system dependent. Uh, than Howell, who is often running for his life, <laughs> which was kind of the way that he played in college because he was often running for his life. Ritter's, Ritter's offense is more structured and, and he needs to play within that structure, which can put a limit on your upside, you know, a Marcus Mariota kind of limit yeah, yeah. On, on your upside. He's uh, got more talent around him as well, Ritter. Um, they're solid enough, yeah. In terms of the skill and positions. The question for me is, Will London and Pitts develop into multiple threat receivers, or are they just going to be tall wide receivers that most of the time teams can cover, mm. um, you know, who don't pose that threat to good defensive teams? Mm. Uh, and that that remains to be seen. They they weren't 
any more than tall wide receivers against Jacksonville. They played much better, especially Pitts. Pitts had a, a pretty good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this this week, Kyle is free. Uh, hey, listen, Mike. Before we before we raise a glass to the great Dick Buck, so I just want to shout out to a lot of you been leaving reviews for the show because we really appreciate this. And I want to read out one or two. Indulge me just a little bit, gang. Uh, this is from Weatherdog's friend on, on Apple Podcasts. One of my regular weekly go-to podcasts throughout the NFL season. It's fabulously entertaining. And Nat always has great guests. Love listening to Mike's views, he says. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, nice to hear. Mike Fix every week listening uh, to the Nat Coom <laughs> show. So that is uh, that is lovely to hear. I'm glad we are giving you your I'm Mike Fix. Um, this is <laughs> The one first one's free. Yeah, this is one from. You always be careful reading out the names people leave here in case I get properly Alan Partridge up here. Uh, but I think this is uh, Eldanos. I don't know. Eldanos. Anyway, who you know who you are? Eldano. Eldanos with S E on the end. Uh, when I rekindled my interest in the NFL in 2019, I was searching for a podcast to help me navigate and find my way back in. The American led ones were often too much in the weeds and this and assume too much knowledge. This has helped me so much. And I listen to every episode now without fail. Great guests, the right level of detail without being overly techie. Uh, and this is also a nail. She says, I never gamble, but even edge rush is great just for the analysis. And I don't understand overs and unders anyway. Great job. Guys. Hey, shout out to <laughs> Propo on edge rush who three out of three on his prop bets. This All right. On fire, wow. right, Mike? He's on, on fire. fire. Uh, I can remember when Propo was just a kid. Yeah, those are the <laughs> And days. saying, who should I start on my fantasy team? Oh, I remember getting, <laughs> waving fantasy information to us and we just completely, thanks, mate. I just didn't do any of it. <laughs> oh, Propo was so. He's come a long uh, way since then. He's, he's great. He's doing all right. Uh, he's doing all right. Uh, right. Let's talk Dick Buck, because what yeah. one of the all-time greats, of course. I, yeah. For those listeners I, who don't know him, Mike, because there might be one or two new to the game, but don't necessarily understand the context of, of what he achieved it, it's time. been a tough one it's yeah. been a tough week um last sunday yeah the bears used to be called the monsters of the midway which yeah. went back to the bronco nagurski days you know and, and dick butkus who went to high school in chicago played at the university of illinois and then played for the Bears. spent his whole life in that milieu and chicago likes tough lunch pail hardworking players and dick buckus was the monster of all the monsters of the midway a middle linebacker on a team that treasured a succession of great middle line in fact you could argue that bill george who preceded dick buckus was the first actual middle linebacker because the bears pulled him off the line of scrimmage as a nose guard to defend against the original fastest show on earth or greatest show on on turf um, Los, An Los Angeles Rams with Norm Van Brocklin and Bob Waterfield. And when George, I remember this quote from George saying, you know, Buck has showed up drafted out of Illinois. And like at the first practice, George kind of went, well, I guess I'm going to retire at the end of this season. <laughs> you know, um, and Buckus was big, you know, unusually big for a linebacker at the time, about 245 and really fast. And watching some film of him, because I'm going to be writing his obituary, later today for the guardian mm. um he didn't knock people he he knocked everybody over except when he was chasing a play and then it was like he got around guys he got pushed them out of the way mm. he moved them moved them went you know <laughs> was fast enough to do to do that kind of thing but didn't run through them because he didn't have time to run through them it was just like out of my way <laughs> out of my way and that's what he was he was a crusher 
um, you know, absolute monster. And if you look up, if you just look at the kind of behind the quarterback point of view kind of camera angles of, you know, if you had to look up and see Butkus coming at you, um, you know, it's kind of like um, there's been a few middle line, middle linebackers, Mike Singletary, the most famous, who took Butkus's place in Chicago, yep. you know, yep. and but you know, Singletary's eyes would look like, you know, there was nothing there behind them. It was like they were burning <laughs> out on the, on the side. So they had a great succession of Bill George to Butkus to Singletary and then even Brian Urlacher like yeah, sure. when they moved him inside. Yeah. Um, but Butkus was the greatest of them. I think one of the you know handful of great greatest players in the NFL, in NFL history, went on to an acting career, like many of these big, tough guys playing um, soft to the center characters. He was he was in Longest Yard, obviously, football yeah. movie, and he was an announcer in um, Any Given Sunday in, yeah, right. in the Oliver Stone movie. Right. But he did other things. He was on MacGyver for a long time. Was he? Um, yeah. The TV and show MacGyver, was he a recurring character? He was a recurring character on Mac- MacGyver, apparently. Wow. Um, I never I'm saw gonna it. Look, so I'm going to look you know, back at that, yeah. But um, I think the greatest tribute to Dick Butkus was his last season. He retired because of knee injuries. Um, but his last season, the Bears had one win all season. And <clears throat> Dick Butkus was the defensive player of the year in the NFL. <laughs> wow. Think of that. Yeah. Wow. And also he won't get as much notice. Although if you do go to my Patreon column, I wrote a big thing about him last week. Russ Francis died um, a few days before Butkus and he was a tight end for the Patriots in the late seventies. And then for the 49ers in the early eighties, won one Super Bowl with the 49ers uh, took a year off because he was an iconoclast. He grew up in Hawaii. I was a high school quarterback. His father was gentleman, Ed Francis, who was a wrestler in the Pacific mm. Northwest and then bought the Hawaii promotion, which was quite a big one because got wrestlers going to Japan or coming back would often stop in Hawaii and wrestle for a few weeks and they mm. could build a few. Anyway, he went to Oregon where the family owned a ranch and finished high school in Oregon, went out for track. He was a six foot six pitcher who was drafted by the Kansas City Royals in college when he wasn't even playing baseball um, after a private tryout. But anyway, he set the national high school dis, uh, javelin throwing record, <laughs> which lasted from 1971 until 1988 when they changed the javelin. So they had to eliminate, <laughs> eliminate all the records. Yeah. Um, he went to Oregon. He, he played one full year, he got hurt his sophomore year, he played his junior year, then decided he didn't want to play in his senior year. He had academic problems at Oregon as well. If he was a wrestler at the core. If you ask him about it, he said, well, I could have gone to medical school. You couldn't even stay in Oregon for you. <laughs> I went out and looked up. I actually found old newspaper reports to try to get the true story, knowing mm. that he was bull- <laughs> bullying, you know, um, the whole thing. And he got drafted in the first round. He said, I didn't know I was even going to get drafted. Well, no, you knew because two weeks before the draft you enrolled at Oregon State which cost you your last year of college eligibility which meant you could then be drafted yeah, yeah. so it was a deliberate move but then he said no I didn't know and anyway he was he was a good receiving tight end a very good receiving tight end but at the Patriots he was playing he was the second best tight end in football for four years behind Dave Casper 
So that's kind of Hall of the Very Good, not Hall of Fame. Hall. <laughs> okay. But but those Patriots teams he played for, he played for the team that set the all-time NFL rushing record until Baltimore broke it with Lamar yeah. Three, yeah, yeah. about three years ago. That was the Patriots. Um, and he was a good, good blocking tight end. So he he retired because the Patriots wouldn't give him an all, uh, all a Pro Bowl bonus because he got hurt in a motorcycle accident and didn't play in the Pro Bowl although he had been chosen for the Pro Bowl, and they wouldn't pay him his Pro Bowl bonus. And then his roommate was Daryl Stingley. Hmm. And when Stingley was paralyzed, the Patriots tried to get out of, you know, compensating him and paying his mm-hmm. medical. So he just took time off, and he was like sec- f- second in the Superstars competition, ABC oh, Superstars, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And ABC hired him as an announcer, and he was at the Pro Bowl announcing and doing sidelines. And he was interviewing Bill Walsh, and after the game, Walsh said, do you ever feel like coming back and playing football? Because, wow. you know, High we could grade. really use you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a great fit for, you know, the West Coast offense. Think of guys like Ted Qualick, who was one of his predecessors with San Francisco. But his first practice at San Francisco, he, he flies in in his own P-51 Mustang <laughs> and, and lands like on the next practice field. <laughs> and, and Walsh wasn't expecting that. Um, he died in an airplane. Airplane, is it? Yeah, he died in an airplane crash. Um, mm. Plane that he or he his flying. co-pilot were flying. Yeah, yeah uh, Cessna out of Lake Placid. He had bought an airline in Lake Placid, uh, like a tour. You know, take people on tours yeah, of the Adirondacks yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And the guy that he was flying with was actually the chairman of the airline owners and pilots associations air safety committee so and and had been the head of the thunderbirds the the commander of the thunderbird which is the the equivalent of the blue um the british blue um devils or whatever the red called. arrows red arrows yeah. Yeah. yeah um the u.s air force equivalent of that so it wasn't like he was you know not not taking care of business safety yeah, business. Yeah. So anyway, iconoclast. Read the thing. Yeah, he's an iconoclast. On one of the football. One of the football great iconoclasts. Dick Butkus. One of the great football players of all mm. time. Absolutely. You know, two tough losses in one week. Yeah. Well said, Mike. We're raising. We're raising two glasses to him. And Patreon.com forward slash Mike Carson FMT. We read about both of them. Mike mentioned he's going to be writing. Uh, Dick Butkus's obituary for the Guardian. So we'll link to that from our social channels. As well, I'm sure Carson will on his at Carson Sports. Brilliant stuff, mate. Great to catch up with you. The last hour has just flown. Well, God, we've done an hour and 15. Propo's going to have fun editing that. Uh, we uh, <laughs> yeah, There goes Russ Francis. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We're keeping Russ in after that. No doubt about it. Brilliant stuff, bud. Look after yourself. So check in with you next week. You too. Podcast Network.